welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Hey guys, uh, we're going to preach two sermons today. I'm going to do the first one, and then Kevin's going to do the second. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So this is, this is Kevin. This is me. <laughs> so, uh, like Missy was saying, we're, we're in this Friend Zone series, and I've actually only preached one sermon in this series, and I'm super excited that Kevin's here. He's, he came in on Wednesday. He spent time with our West Bank team. He spent time uh, with some of our leaders. He spent time with helping me train church planters this week, and he's been preparing for for this morning as well. So uh, he's a great friend. We we both planted churches, us, us here, of course, Kevin, just outside of Philly, and uh, in the same DNA. So that DNA we were talking about all through January, KDSC, Kingdom Disciples Society Church, uh, they plant in the same DNA. So it's amazing to see uh, two churches, two different contexts, two different people, two different uh, church groups, all those things, two different cities, everything, two different countries, and the same DNA work its way out uh, and in amazing ways. So Missy and I were actually down with Kevin and his wife Angela in May, right, in May, and, and it was just an amazing time, and, uh, and he's been with us, so... It's, it's awesome to have you here. So I'm going to say a prayer of blessing over you before you jump into the Word. <clears throat> Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for my brother here. Thank you for uh, our relationship. Thank you that you are producing fruit uh, out of just willingness and obedience. And uh, we pray that his words this morning would be your words. So speak through him. Speak to us that we would hear and we would obey this morning. That we would step forward into relationships in a new way. That you would just show us... Um, something new about ourselves, something new about our church, you'd open our eyes to doors of opportunities around us to step forward uh, for, for the furtherment of your kingdom. So speak to us now from your word and mold us into your image, Lord Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. It was good to be with you this morning, Trinity Life. Why don't we just give the Lord another hand clap of praise this morning. Mike said, I'm here all the way from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, so about a two-hour plane ride for me to get here, and then another hour in uh, Border Patrol with uh, the welcome people who welcome me so warmly here to uh, your country, but uh, I'm grateful, uh, really grateful to be here. You don't know, but Mike kind of shared it. I'm a distant cousin. Uh, we share the same DNA. Our church lives in the same framework that yours does. We're engaging our city with the same fervency that you are, and we're seeing the gospel taking root in our city in much the way that you are. So it's been an honor to be with Mike and Missy. We've spent a lot of time together, but I've never gotten the chance to see what their obedience and following Jesus has produced. So it's it's incredible to meet you all. I've spent time in your community. You don't get to see yourself, but I can see you in a way you don't see yourself and just so rich with the love of Jesus. Uh, so rich with the, the welcoming presence of God. And uh, I, I'm standing before you with great expectation for what God's going to do with us today as we dive into the word of God. Uh, let's pray together. Father, it's uh, with hearts wide open that we enter into your presence now. Father, we declare the promise that we see in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4 that your word is alive. It's powerful. It's able to divide uh, the things that it's able to pierce the division between our souls and our spirit. It's a discerner of our thoughts and our intents. And God, here's our prayer today that as your word comes and we see ourselves in the reflection of it, we pray that in a moment we will be changed more into your likeness. Uh, our prayer, God, is that our love will grow from being merely human love to being supernatural love. God, our prayer is that as we gather in your word and gather in your presence and the presence of one another, God, that in a moment, God, we become a transforming agent. 
not only uh, in our families, God, but also in the spheres of influence that you've called us to. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you breathe on us as we rest here today and cause the life of God, the glory of God to be manifested upon us? To, to varying degrees, this is the expectation that we enter into your presence with. Do your thing, God, and declare your own name and make yourself known. Now, by faith, in the mighty name of... What's his name? What's his name? Shout his name. Hey, if you've got your Bible, run with me to the book of Ruth, chapter 4, the book chapter 4, and today I get the privilege to preach the conclusion to your series of Friendship Zone, a Friend Zone. And the message today is entitled, A Different Kind of Relationship. A Different Kind of Relationship. And I want to read several verses here and then dive into the Word of God this morning. I'm beginning at Ruth, chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate, sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, and sit down here. So he came aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they almost sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next or next of kin after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You go ahead and redeem it uh, right of redemption for yourself for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom, catch this, in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal, gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. That's how they signed their contracts. Verse 8, therefore the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have brought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilon's and all that was Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren. From his position at the gate, you are witnesses of this today. There's a professor at NYU. He teaches ethical leadership, and he's also a social psychologist. His name is Jonathan Haidt, H-A-D-T. He uses an exercise to help parents rightly and soberly view their role in the life of their children. Here's a script that he walks the parents through. He says, imagine you're handed a script of your newborn child's entire life. You're given an eraser and five minutes to edit out whatever you want. So you read that she will have a learning disability in grade school. Reading, which comes easy for the other kids in her classroom, is going to be very laborious for her. You read further and you find out in high school, she'll make a great circle of friends. But then one of the ones who was one of her best friends actually dies of leukemia. After high school, your daughter gets into her preferred college, her, her first choice. But while there, she'll lose a leg in a car accident. Following that, she will go through a, a difficult depression. But don't worry about it. A few years later, she gets her dream job. And 
then she loses that job due to an economic downturn. She'll get married, but then go through a, a brief period of separation and go again through that depression that you thought you wouldn't see that she had experienced in high school. Let me just ask you, with this script of your child's life and five minutes to edit it, what would you erase? Wouldn't you want to take out all the stuff that would cause them pain? I'm asking, would you? Would you want to take out all that stuff you read that was going to cause your little girl pain? If you could erase every failure, if you could erase every disappointment, if you could erase every period of suffering, wouldn't that be a good idea? But Jonathan Haidt says it's possible that we could do those things, actually remove what adversity and setbacks and maybe even crisis and trauma bring into our lives that teach us a dependence upon God that we otherwise couldn't have that cause us to become the fullness of the person that God envisioned that we would become. Yet we often want to remove pain and remove hurt. And if we could be God in the lives of our children, we take it all out. Is there a more difficult story than the one that we see here with Ruth, uh, with Naomi, with Elkanah, and with their family? We see a family that due to a famine, they leave the, the country that they're in. They go to another country uh, and their sons find wives only for their sons to pass away and then for their sons to return and Naomi to find herself so destitute she can't afford to care for the land. So she has to find someone to buy the land just so they can try to subsist. If we're honest about it, this world can be a difficult place. Am I going to be the only one honest today? I said, if we're honest about it, this world can be a difficult place. And the church said, amen. But the shocking thing is that God's plan is to use a different kind of relationship. God doesn't come and erase all the hardship and adversity in our lives. If any of you, if you've ever experienced hardship and difficult adversity in your lives, could you just stand up with me for a second? Just, that's me. I've experienced hardship and difficult adversity. If that's you, could you just stand up and look at the people sitting down, ask them to pray for you and bless you right now because they've never experienced anything. I mean, if you live in this world long enough, you're going to experience things that bring tears to your eyes when you share what happened. And the thing is, God doesn't come with a supernatural eraser to take those things out. God comes with supernatural relationships to help us make our way through those things. In fact, God is not the God that removes circumstances so we can have the life that we want to live. God is not even the one that authors every circumstance. And I can get into my doctrine of sovereignty next week when they bring me back. <laughs> but God most certainly is the one. That while we are going through circumstances, rather than giving us the circumstance he wants, he, we want, he uses those circumstances and relationship with him and others to make us the person that he wants. So I want to talk today about a different kind of relationship. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord and I want us to take a deep dive and, and let God paint on our imagination as it were. What has he envisioned to do with us individually? And what has he envisioned to do with us collectively as Trinity Life Church, but even more collectively than that, as the body of Jesus in the earth? Run with me back to where we started at Ruth chapter 4 and verses 1. I want to read these verses again. Don't get tired of hearing the word of God in your ears. Expect the person of the Holy Spirit to make these words come alive as you hear them spoken. Now Boaz went up to the gate, sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said to him, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down, and, and Boaz then took ten men of the elders of the city and asked them, sit down here. So they all sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, sold the price of land. If I were doing this in more uh, um, contemporary terms, I would say, young man, 
Did you hear that Naomi is back in town, but she had to put the property up for sale. It got foreclosed on, and she had to give up her place and her land and her property. Are you aware of what happened to our family? He goes on and he says, which belonged to our brother Elimelech. He says, our, our brother Elimelech, his, his wife, who's the widow, lost the property. Did you hear what happened to their family? It's interesting how we hear difficult news when it happens in other people's lives. What are the first things you think about when you hear difficult news happen to people that are close to you? Maybe it's a member of Trinity Life. Maybe it's somebody on your street, in your neighborhood. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Sometimes we can see the deepest parts of our heart with what our initial reactions are when we hear of those things happening to others. Maybe when it seems like it's distant and it won't impact me much, I'm very empathetic. Maybe when it seems like they're asking me to do something and want me to give up money or comfort or something I have, maybe we react slightly different. This morning, I got a phone call. Literally, it was about 845. It's, it's a woman that was a member of our church. She led our worship arts team. We went through a difficult time relationally, and she decided to leave our church family. Only if you're a pastor do you know what it feels like when somebody leaves the church family or an elder or leader. I mean, it's excruciating. It's like your own child ran away. I can't even explain what that feels like. But she called me this morning. I haven't talked to her in quite a while. And she called me on the phone hysterically crying. Out of all the people she could call, she picked me to call on the phone this morning. And I'm thinking, God, I'm going to preach a, a message on relationship. And you have this beautiful sister call me on the phone. And she says to me, Pastor Kevin, we use big titles in where I come from in Philly. I don't know why it's just our way. And she says, and she says, Pastor Kevin, I wanted you to know that my grandmother passed away. Uh, it was unexpected. I mean, this is through crying and tears. And she wants me to comfort her in a way. And immediately I got to move my heart through all of the places that my heart has been as it relates to this woman. And I need to get to the place that I can reach into the bowels of mercy that God had placed in me and have words that come into my mouth that somehow bring her supernatural comfort in that moment. Can I tell you whether we realize it or not, all of us are asked to come sit in the gates. All of us, whether we realize it, are called to hear things and called by God sometimes without even realizing it to do something about something that we think, what am I equipped to do about that? Let's dive back into this text. Verse four. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back. In the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. But there is no one but you to redeem it. And I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Verse five, then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, catch this, I cannot redeem it for myself. Why? Lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem. The, the account of Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, gives us a glimpse into just how brutal this fallen world can be. Uh, I didn't come to make you depressed, but I came to open up our eyes and open up our hearts to have some prophetic imagination on why God plants his church in some of the darkest, most difficult places and some of the places that are the most depraved and takes us who are depraved ourselves and instead of just beaming up, Scotty, after we give our lives to Jesus, leaves us here. And I think if we look deeper uh, into the account uh, of Naomi and the account of Ruth and the account of Boaz, uh, th this account equally portrays just how redemptive relationships can be in shaping the course of our temporal lives, yes, but our eternal lives also and the quality of our lives. And this is God's plan. God's plan is to use one another relationships, not to take us out of circumstances, but to remind us that he's present with us in circumstances and to work through the power of community to not only transform our lives, but to transform the lives of one another. He has called us to be people who live with a different kind 
of relationship. Could you just say that with me this morning? A different kind of relationship. Six people said that. Would the other hundred just say that with me this morning? A different kind of Among all of the relationships that we will have in this world, and you know some relationships come and they just seem like they've been with you forever. Some relationships come and they just seem to be there for a spot in time. And other relationships are people that kind of just come in and out of your life. And, and we have many relationships. Sometimes relationships can be so good to us that we make items out of those relationships. Uh, come December, I had been married 30 years to Angela Maria Brown. I'm much older than I look. But in December, we're going to celebrate 30 years. And if I'm honest, at times in my life, I have made an idol of Angela. I literally wanted Angela to give me things that only Jesus could give me. I wanted Angela to be able to speak words to encourage and edify me in some ways that Jesus just reserves for himself. I, I wanted Angela, and if I'm honest about it, even other relationships at times to do things that God just reserves for himself. I'm mentioning that because as we get ready to talk about relationships, God's going to use relationships in our lives, but he's jealous. And what I mean by that is he's going to keep first place for himself. Uh, and, and sometimes we're mad at folks because why didn't you do this? Why didn't you call me? Why weren't you there? You didn't even say anything. Honey, you didn't have the right word to say. Baby, when I needed you, you weren't there. I feel lonely because I'm single. I feel lonely because I'm married in a dead marriage. But, but often we want from people what only God can give us. So while we're, we're magnifying the friendship zone, and we should, but understand that the quality of our horizontal relationships is dictated most significantly by the quality of our vertical relationship. We'll never be able to be in the lives of other people what God really wants us to be until we let God be what he wants to be in our lives. Are you, are you, are you tracking with me? I just want to say that because as we dive into the depth of other relationships among all the relationships that we'll ever have, there's none that can ever match what happens in our covenant relationship with Christ. Uh, as oversimplified as that may sound, though, when they when they ask Jesus and they say to Jesus, what is the greatest of all of the commandments? And he's trying to catch Jesus when he asked him this question, this lawyer, this study, this guy who has studied and got his PhD, if you will, in the Torah. He asked Jesus, what is the greatest of all commands? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, vertical, and then love your neighbor as yourself. He, he, he literally, Jesus lays this out because what he's doing is setting the priority in relationship that we're, first I want my covenant relationship with you to supersede all. I want it to speak into every other relationship. And then I want you to realize that the quality of your horizontal relationships is reflected by the quality of your relationship with me. Simply put, we can't love the way God is calling us to love as his church in this moment in history if we're not loving him the way he's calling us to love him. So next week in worship, we need to have some Pentecostal and some charismatic expressions of us. We just need to be shouting and just getting our emotions and a whole person involved in it, not because we got an African-American preacher, but because we just need to, we need to, we need to let our king know just how excited we are to be in his presence and how excited we are to connect to his love and how desperate we are. I don't know, you ever, been, you ever been in the presence of like a dignitary or a president or an athlete, you know, or, or, or a celebrity and how giddy we can get sometimes? But we're in the presence of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who gave us the last breath. And, and the more radical we are about that love, the more prepared and perfected, if you will, will be for the types of love he calls us to express to others. Boaz, in, in this account, does something significant. He takes the position of what they would have understood in Israel as a kinsman redeemer. A, a kinsman redeemer. If you've heard that term before, just shout it with me. Kinsman redeemer. He, he takes this position in the life of Naomi and Ruth. The, the Torah told them that if you have a relative that loses their land or their ability to care for themselves. It was written in the Torah or Mosaic law that you must use your resources to help that person buy back their land. You must be the kinsman that helps them redeem 
what was theirs so that they can be back at a strong position. And he didn't ask what your credit was, didn't ask what do you have in the bank, didn't ask what your available uh, capital was. The next in kin was by Mosaic law responsible to buy the other person out of their debt so that people could maintain their ability to care for themselves. And it's exactly what's happening here. So Boaz meets with the other guy who's the closest kin and says to them, yo, bro, are you going to buy? You heard what happened. You're going to do the thing you need to do to be kinsman redeemer. You're going to take care of that responsibility. And at first the man says, yeah, I got it. I'll do it. I'll, I'll take care of my, my responsibility as a kinsman. But then when he finds out that you'll also have to marry Ruth, who has been widowed because the second part of Mosaic law said that if someone is widowed and does not have any sons to carry on the family name and to help care for in an agrarian society to care for their land and their property, then you have to marry that person. That wouldn't work well with my family because if I told Angela, yo, I got to marry your, my cousins, you know, or, or something like that, it just wouldn't go down well. I'd die right there. And there. But, you know, you're not bringing another woman in this house, but you know. <laughs> But during that time, it was an economic relationship. It was a, it was a societal relationship. It was, it was necessary in this agrarian society that they functioned this way together in order to preserve themselves and preserve their faith. So literally, this man not only needs to buy the land because he's next to kin, but he also needs to marry Ruth so that he can give her a son, preferably to be able to carry on the lineage of their family name and preserve the seat of the family in the gate or in the government of the city. The one guy says, hey, man, I can't do that. I'm not willing to do that. Catch what he says. There's, there's a tinge of something in here because he says, I can't do it. And essentially, in some commentary, says, I can't do it because Ruth is a Moabitess. It's a racial issue here. He, he literally says, if I marry her, I'm not going to get my inheritance. My inheritance is coming to me because I'm supposed to marry a good Jewish girl. When I marry a good Jewish girl, then my dad's going to approve of that, and then everything will go well with me. If I mess around and marry this Moabitess, it will interrupt my inheritance. Other commentators says, no, but it was just a financial issue. He didn't want to marry this woman because to care for her, he might mess up the inheritance that he would pass on to his children. In any way that you look at it, what he fell from was covenantal love. And what he fell into was transactional love. Can I tell you that always becomes the choice for us that although God doesn't ask us to buy folks land and, and doesn't command us to do those things. There are times when the spirit of God will ask us to do things that goes way beyond our place of comfort. There are times when the Holy Spirit says, stop, I want you to do something about that. I want you to sow into that. I want you to give to that. I want you, I want you to give your time loss. I want you to give an offering of this. He asks us to do things at times where we're like, no, God, I can't do that. Let me pass that on to the next person. But every time we pass on what God is asking us to redeem, a part of our own redemptive relationship with God is retarded. Sometimes. Doesn't experience transformation. What do you mean by that? Give me some scripture and verse for that. Because I don't. He says, how can you say that you love me who you've never seen when you don't love your brother or your sister who is right there with you? In Matthew 25, the test for us as in whether we are redeemed or born again or received Jesus, the test of whether we're in covenant. And Matthew 25 says that Jesus is going to come in all of his glory with all of the angels. He's going to sit down in his throne. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And guess what criteria he's going to use to separate sheep from goats? Oh, I got it. It's going to be some doctrinal test. Just ask me. I know my theology. I listen to Mike well. I, I got my Bible stuff there. No, he says the test is going to be when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. It was, it was all expressions of divine relationship that when God called on me to express covenantal love to people, I did not fall back into transactional love because transactional love sees people, places, and things entirely different than covenantal love does. Holy Spirit, my prayer this morning is that as the word of God is being preached and as the word of God is being expounded upon, that you, by your power, 
just as you did with Elisha and his servant. He said, open up his eyes that he might see that more be with us than be with them. God, I pray that even as I'm preaching this morning, that you're doing more than I could ever do by washing and opening our eyes that we might begin to see through eyes of covenant rather than eyes of transaction. I believe for that to come now by faith in the mighty name of what's his name? Boaz takes this position of kinsman, redeemer. Can I tell you that Boaz is a type of Jesus? Jesus is the great kinsman, redeemer of all of humanity. Jesus literally says, I'll go and I will buy back what they can never buy back, what sin has destroyed, what they'll, like Ruth and Naomi, they'll never be able to pay for and get their righteousness back, but I will give them my righteousness and I will take on their sin. I will become sin that they might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God literally says, I will become kinsman redeemer in the person of Jesus. I will use my life to buy back the life that God intended for them. Every one of us that has named the name of Jesus, that has gone public with our faith, every one of us that has done that have been redeemed by Jesus, how can we not now become those that work in his redemptive plan? That's exactly what's happening here with Boaz. Let, let me go further. I, I know you're excited to get into this. Look at verse 7. When you get there, just shout amen. Ruth 4, verse 7. When you get there, just shout amen. One person's there, I'll wait for everybody else. So when you get the roof, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 7, just shout amen. Now this was the custom. In former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging, to confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. And you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of when Moses had run from Egypt. He had been living in Midian for 40 years, the Bible says. One day he's going to water his flock. And while he's out watering his flock, all of a sudden the angel of God appears before him and says to him, take off your shoes. I'm like showing off because I had holes in my socks yesterday. But he says, take off your shoes for the place that you're on is holy ground. There's something significant in the Bible when it talks about shoes. Even in the book of Ephesians, part of our armor of God is our feet prepared with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Our, our shoes literally represent our motives. Our, our shoes literally represent our direction. Our shoes literally represent where we're going. And, and God wants to do an exchange with our shoes today. He not only wants to do something with our eyes that we see differently, but he also wants to exchange sandals with us. He, he literally wants to move us from natural transactional relationship to supernatural covenant relationship. And that be the thing that we extend to other people. I wish like four or five people would join me in taking off their shoes right now. I know that's a thing in Toronto anyway, so why don't we just take our shoes off and shocked yesterday when I went to dinner and had to take my shoes off. I'm like, I have a hole in my left sock. It's the only pair of socks I brought that have a hole in it. And of all days, I got to take my shoes. But if anybody really is believing God for a supernatural exchange today, why, why don't we just have an act of faith today and just take our shoes off? I mean, I'm not forcing you to do it by compulsion, but if, if you, like me, sense the Spirit of God kind of leading you to do that, why don't you just take your shoes off? This was the custom in former times in Israel concerning, catch this, redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was confirmation. I believe in God that as we're taking our shoes off, God is shotting our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He's, he's changing the way we walk around and helping us to realize that we are carriers of the presence of God. We are carriers of the power of God. We are carriers of the resources of God, and we are extending those things to the lives of other people as we walk about and do our normal business. I'm not walking walking with my boots on, I'm literally walking with my feet shod by something that only the word of God and the spirit of God could prepare for me. What if we left out of here like that? Verse 80 goes on and says, therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. 
So he took off his sandal. This one was more in shame. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses of it today. The closest in-law rejected the responsibility of redeeming Naomi and, and marrying Ruth. He, he concluded it was a bad transaction with, with no benefit for him. In fact, it would hinder his ability to be able to provide inheritance for his family, maybe hinder his ability to receive inheritance. But Boaz wasn't seeing Naomi and, and Ruth through the lens of transaction. He was seeing uh, Naomi and Ruth through the lens of covenant love. Transactional love keeps score by asking, catch this, what's in it for me? I said, transactional love keeps score by asking what's in it for me. If you want your marriage to get deteriorated real fast, start keeping that kind of score and say, you know, I did this for you, but you didn't do this for me. That, that's transactional. I, I gave this, but I'll see you giving this. On Christmas, I did this. I mean, I don't know if this ever happened to you. That's happened to me so many times in my 30 years of marriage. I, I'm like, I see myself as the generous one. And how arrogant and broken is that? Really, what I'm saying by seeing myself as the generous one in transactional love, I'm really confessing I'm the impoverished one. Because the reason why I'm keeping that kind of score, because every time I give, I feel like I'm running out. But in reality, if I'm really connected in covenant, every time I give, God is restoring what I gave. Isn't that what Corinthians says? Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. What is God talking about? We use this in the area of money and that's not always wrong. But he's primarily talking about as you exercise covenant love in relationships, a different kind of relationship. Whatever you give away, you got it from me in the first place and I'll restore it even more to you. If you want to grow in love, you start giving love. You want to grow in patience, you start giving patience. You want to grow in tenderness, you start giving tenderness. You don't wait till you feel it. You start to give it so that God can dispense it. Reality of it is we don't have any love to give anyway. God is love. If we can express love, then what we're really expressing is our covenant connection that we have with God. And literally, this is exactly what, what happens here, that Boaz is seeing the relationship through transactional love. He's not, I mean, through relational love, a covenantal love. He's not seeing it through transactional love. Transactional love is parasitical love. Let's say it again. Transactional love is parasitical love. It sees and judges everything and everyone and what can I get from them and what have they given me to justify me giving them anything uh, it, it's the kind of love that, that keeps count and keeps score and finally it leaves relationships with people because it says they don't ever come to my stuff they don't ever do anything I want that but if we would stay in covenantal love covenantal love is transformative for us and it's transformative for them. In fact, this is God's plan. I want to train, change Toronto by planting TLC in the heart of Toronto. And then I want to teach people to bring everyone into the friend zone by them walking in covenantal love. And I'll use their generous covenantal love extended to this community to cause them to meet and encounter the love of Jesus. And that love is transformative. It happened to Boaz. The backstory of Boaz is that his mama was a whore. Am I allowed to say that, church? <laughs> but I'm in the school. The backstory, the backstory of Boaz was that his mother was a whore. Boaz himself was the result of covenantal love, and it had changed the course of his life and his family so much that Boaz learned to be a person that didn't just see it in the pages of the Torah. It became something written on the pages of his heart, and he became an entirely different man. Boaz's mother lived in the walls of the city of Jericho. Whenever anybody in the Old Testament lived in the walls of any city, that was the ghetto. 
The walls was the area that was most exposed to enemies. The walls was the area that was first attacked. The walls was the ghetto. It was where the rent was low. The, the walls was the place where no one wanted to live. It was where people had to live. And Boaz's mama not only lived in the wall, but she made her living by selling her body to travelers that came to trade and exchange in the city of Jericho. One day, some people come to trade there and they're, they're people that the city was scared of. It was the children of Israel who they had heard about what they were doing in other towns was now come to their town of Jericho. And they happened of all the houses they could sneak into of all them low down, broke down, no heat, having apartments. They pick Rahab's apartment. They go into Rahab's house and Rahab hides them because they're looking to find these two spies from Israel and these men enter into covenantal love with her and they literally say to Rahab, we're going to come back and destroy this city, but if you just put a scarlet rope down, we'll know not to destroy you. Can I tell you that that day that Rahab made that commitment, she left the people of Canaan or Canaan to be her people, and she joined the covenant people of God to be their people, and Rahab was converted. They kept their word. They come back. They get Rahab, and Rahab now becomes a part of them. Can I tell you that Rahab went on to marry Solomon? The woman who was a whore living in the walls of Jericho, the covenant love of God changes her whole life, her whole identity, the whole way she relates to herself and relates to other people, changes how she makes a living, changes how she values herself. It changes everything about her. She ends up marrying a guy named Solomon. And the guy named Solomon that she marries, they have a son named Boaz. One generation later, because of living in the covenant love of God, you don't see Boaz being known as, yeah, that's the boy whose mama was a whore. They used to live in Jericho. Now they live here. You know, they're sketchy folks, but we love them anyway. No, you don't hear that story at all. When you, what you find is that Boaz is a man that sits in the gates of the city. Boaz is a man of resource and influence. Boaz is a man who was a leader in the government of that city. How does someone make a jump from their mama being a whore to being a man that now sits in those places of honor and prestige and a man that has the resources now to turn around and buy the land and marry a woman? I'll tell you. Because when Jesus redeems us, he redeems us into an inheritance that is beyond what the natural eye can see. And for the person that lives by faith, those that have been justified by Jesus shall live by faith. For those that live by faith, we access resources that eyes cannot see. We access resources that hands cannot earn. We enter into the provisional plan of God. And the provision of God goes beyond what I make for my 40 or 50 or 60 hours. The provision of God includes miracles. It includes favor. It includes grace. It includes faith. Now, money is the lowest form of prosperity, and Boaz realized that. Money couldn't have changed his family background. Some of us try to do that. We're like, if I could make enough money, I can get the shame that's on my life off my life. But let me tell you, you can never get enough big cold chains and big cars and property to take shame off of your life. Shame comes off of our life by the redemptive blood of Jesus. You can't get condemnation off your life. That comes by the spirit of God. There's things that our money can't do, that our resources can't do, that only God can do. And Boaz tapped into it. And he becomes known as not the son of the hoe, but a kinsman redeemer. Can I tell you today, God wants us to stop thinking about losing our inheritance because he has another one for us. God wants us to stop thinking about the natural resources we have because he has supernatural ones for us. God wants us to stop thinking about the limitations of our lineage because he's brought us into another lineage that's greater than the lineage that we were in before. God wants to deliver us from the tiny ways that we see and think about ourselves and how we measure ourselves and wants us to see ourselves that we're sons and daughters of the Most High God. And the only reason that our loving Father has left us here is not to remove us from circumstances, but to use relationship with him and us to transform people's lives in the midst of their circumstances. It is literally the plan of God that we would be able to extend the supernatural resources of God where God has placed us 
so that God through us as a portal or a conduit can now transform other people's lives. And in our willingness to do that, that's where our life is transformed. The just must live by faith. Faith without works is dead. I can know all the stuff, but if I won't live in the stuff, I don't become transformed into the stuff. Trinity, God's doing something incredible. I've seen amazing love. I've, I've seen amazing intimacy. I've seen real, genuine, spirit-breathed friendship. What would it look like for you to now be overwhelmed with the reality that we are connected to the supernatural resources of God? We've taken off our own shoes and we've put on his shoes. You ever put on your parents' shoes when you were a kid? You know, I, I used to wear like a bathrobe. I'm sorry for the images I'm giving you right now. But, but I, I, I would put on my bathrobe and then put on these boots that my dad had and just run around with these boots on. But I would envision myself being like my father. My daughter would do the same. She'll put on my wife's high heel shoes. Angela, you know, she's getting a little older now. I shouldn't hear this, but we're getting a little older now. We don't wear high heels. She didn't wear high heels the way she used to. But when, she, when we were younger, she wore like the, I don't know how you walked in these, but, but my daughter would put them on and run around. You know, we like to put our daddy's shoes on. And what I'm saying is that God is asking us, if you, if you want to put my shoes on, you have to take yours off. That man missed a miraculous opportunity because he was afraid to enter into that covenant relationship with Ruth. But you know what God was inviting him into? God was inviting him into his story. He was so busy trying to preserve his own story that he wasn't ready to jump into God's story. Do you know who that lineage became? From the lineage of Ruth. It went all the way down. David was in that lineage. You know that God swore to David that you will always have someone on the throne and the lineage of Jesus goes all the way back and connects to this family line. This man was so concerned about preserving his own little family as he understood it, he didn't even realize that God with the need that was in front of him was inviting him into his supernatural family line. Can I just tell you guys, I don't need to try to preserve the Brown family anymore. Jesus has it. I don't need to try to preserve my plan anymore. God's got a bigger one. I don't need to try to craft my story by writing out my vision and planning out anymore. God is constantly redeeming my life and inviting me into his. And can I tell you, he's doing the same thing with you today. So whatever he asks, let's put on a new lens and say, I no longer keep the score by saying what's in it for me. I keep score now by saying he did it for me. Just say that he did it for me. I mean, God has done so many incredible things in my life that when I just say he did it for me, it starts to bring up images and, and scenes in my life where God showed up supernaturally and just did what nobody could have anticipated that he would do. And God wants to do the same thing even more so in my life and in your life and in our lives collectively as the people of God. Not what's in it for me, but he did it. For me, we start walking around with different shoes on, with different eyes and confessing to ourselves over and over that he did it for me. We'll start to extend a different kind of relationship to this city. Jesus was able with a, a group of 12 that grew to a group of roughly 200. By the time they got to Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, they said that these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Y'all have like 200. What could he do with that many of us with our dad's shoes on, with our dad's eyes and extending covenantal love to a community? What could he do in the West Bank and what could he do here in Toronto? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that not only would you have the word preached, but I pray that it would be followed by signs and wonders. I pray, Lord, that as I'm preaching the same way you have Paul preach at Cornelius's house and as he preached to this man who was a centurion in the Roman guard, while the preaching was happening, the spirit of God fell. They were filled with the spirit and they were transformed. God, I'm praying that even as I'm closing this message today, you're opening up your conversation with us. 
God, show us where we need to take off our shoes and put on yours. Show us where we need to move from what's in it for me, love, that is parasitical, and move into the transformative love that says he did it for me. Father God, I thank you for what you've planned and intended and purposed to do in the life of this church, exceeding abundantly above what they could ask or think. God, I declare that this word has been spoken into good ground, hearts that are of a good and honest report that are ready to retain it until it produces the harvest that heaven had in mind. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done now by faith in the mighty name of... Are you ready to live this? No, really, are you ready to live this? this my, I'm asking a question. Are you ready to live this? Blessings to you, Trinity. It's been an incredible honor to serve with you this week, to be among you this week. I, I, I marvel at God that he would import someone all the way to Philly to come here to Toronto just to release this word in you. I marvel that Michael would give me the privilege to preach the finale to this series, but we all have different things shotting our feet right now. Some of you have never entered in the covenant with Jesus, and today he's going to give you new shoes. Maybe some of you already in covenant with Jesus, but you got a mismatched shoes. You got a one shoe that's yours and one shoe that's his. But today we walk out of here in the power of his might, the power of his spirit. Today we walk out of here connected to supernatural resource and extending it throughout the spheres where God has placed us. Today we become the ones that are redeemers, kinsmen redeemers, because we've been redeemed, we've invited into his redemptive plan. Our shame rolls off as his righteousness floods in. Blessings to you. Increase to you. Overflow of God's goodness to you. I look forward to coming back again and seeing all that God has done in your life and in your congregation. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.